Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy, how you doing? All right. Um, this has been a few weeks now of dealing with a lot more architecture level stuff. Not oh, yeah? of hands-on coding, much more planning. Um, I got, there's a big project in the at the company at Hierology. And we are spending much more time with design and planning. And um, it's interesting because I haven't worked. It's been a really long time since I worked with other engineers on architecture. And I, I got to say it's fun when you've got people that are kind of looking at edge case scenarios, planning for the future, trying to follow best practices. Um, it's, it's been an interesting like part of the job that I just haven't done in a long time where I had other people to bounce ideas off of and they are asking me questions and stuff. So right, pretty part of the job that almost all CTOs have. And I rarely, I usually just I'm building prototypes for startups all the time. Right. In this case, I'm, and I'm learning a lot about service oriented architecture that I never needed for a startup before. Um, so that's kind of cool too. Cool. What about you? What's up? Uh, not a whole lot. Just, uh, continuing to forge on. We had a, um, last week with, uh, Aspire EDU, the, uh, the CEO was away and she usually handles 90% of the customer requests. So it was a, it was a week of trying to determine if the requests coming in were things she normally handled without us on the tech side ever seeing it because she knew how to talk to them and get them to do it a different way or if they were actual technical issues because it felt like a week of firefighting um, that we hadn't had in a while. So I have a feeling it was a combination of things. I have a feeling it was a combination of her knowing how to walk clients through it and and packaging issues into our, our GitHub issue queue to say, hey, this is something going on, but it can wait. Um, I know for a fact we had two two issues that had to get done technically last week. So it was a combination of things. One of them was was an odd one. We um, we use uh, the Canvas learning management system. Um, we we uh, I don't want to say we're kind of inside their system. I'm kind of like an iframe. Yeah. Um, and the way we had done it all along was we just said, okay, max size of whatever um, they want. I'm sorry. It wasn't that. It was a calculation based on um, based on a, a setting they had set. Well, come to find out last week that they changed their setting without any kind of um, email to who everyone saying, hey, we've changed this. So yeah. all of a sudden, our, our customers were seeing our product a lot smaller than than in the past. So we had to go in and, and change change the calculation. The good news is while the developers were in there, they made it a lot more resilient so that if that ever gets changed again, it's going to it's going to work better. Hmm. Um, it's going to be a lot less susceptible to their changes. So um 
so that's pretty much what was going on last week. Um, so you and I were talking offline when, when the Domino's um, Supreme Court case came through, uh, and we haven't had been able to record a, a, a CTO Think episode since then. So I wanted to go over this and, and talk through the ramifications and all that. So I'll set the table as best I can. Um, essentially, there was a, a blind customer who, who was suing Domino's under the Americans with Disability Act because he couldn't fully use the web, their website using his screen reading software. Um, and, and Domino's argument was that if you allow this lawsuit to continue, then any piece of content on any website anywhere has to be accessible to all the different disabilities, whether you're blind or deaf or people who can't operate a computer or a mobile phone. And that's a lot of, that's a lot to work around. Um, and, and I don't think they were arguing they didn't want to provide it. It was more of, you're asking us to, to, to make it, a, invest a lot of time to, to service uh, a, a broad spectrum of different um, accessibility issues. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think it, what, what the uh, Supreme Court down decided was they decided not to hear Domino's appeal. So what had happened was the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, since Domino's is a place of public accommodation, which I guess is a legal term, Mm-hmm. Um, it's required to provide auxiliary aids and services for visually impaired customers. And if, if you've ever ordered a pizza on Domino's site, there's, there's some, there's some, um, visually appealing things going on there. As far as when you order the pizza, there's a pizza tracker and it goes through and it shows you yeah. all the different things. Um, now, is it hard to make something that if somebody, if, if the computer says I'm using a screen reader instead of uh, a browser, you need to provide me additional content. And I'm sure they could do that. Um, I think they were just arguing that they, they, they didn't feel they, they needed to service everybody. Um, and what the Supreme court decided was they decide we're, we're just not going to hear this case, which is essentially them saying it's either not, within our purview or we kind of agree with it and we're just not going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what, uh, how do you feel about that? And, 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 and let's talk about some of the ramifications of that. Well, in the overall theme of accessibility, I feel like our society has moved forward to be more inclusive for people in all sorts of like the construction architecture realm. You look, if you go, if you've seen new construction in any place these days, they basically have to accommodate bathrooms that allow, that have band, like the handrails for people that may be in a wheelchair or have trouble bending over. Sure. I think that's, that's good for not just people in a wheelchair, for people with bad backs, right. um, for seniors. 
if you you look at the number of ramps that are going up to entrances now, um, that's a key thing, not just for people in a wheelchair, but for as our society ages, for people that are blind to be able to get to a crosswalk and hear the signals. You know, that I see that a lot at universities. I've seen that more than I've seen it in public a lot. But I feel like those are step forward to make it so that people with impairments or disabilities have the same access in life to at least the basics of getting into a place. For sure. So then if you move to the internet and we, if we place our, our society is placing humong, huge amount of importance on information exchange and interface use. And I feel like it's really important that we make it, we mandate that companies take the time to implement tools and interfaces that work for everyone. Sure. So now what I don't understand is why Domino's made the argument that you're saying they are like, I didn't, I can't remember all the details of the article, but they made the argument that you shouldn't force us to do this, but I don't know why a phone wouldn't have been the considered the alternative. Like, Hey, this person can call us by phone. Now, not to say that that suffices, but it feels like Domino's does have multiple ways for providing access to ordering. And and I believe that their tracking system will send text messages. It's been forever since I've ever ordered from Domino's. Sure. But I feel like that, that argument of we do have an alternative way versus you shouldn't make us make the internet accessible is a very odd approach to defending and, and it. We, we don't know that they didn't. We don't know that they didn't say there are plenty of ways people have to order from us other than the website. Uh, 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 certainly a, a, a visually impaired person can can use the phone to call us an order. Um, that, that may have been part of their argument. It just wasn't in the articles I read. Now I have you, I remember when they first, when Domino's first released this ordering system. So I don't know if I've used it. What, like, I don't know the current state of it, but I remember thinking this is the most advanced pizza ordering system I've ever seen online. I thought it was pretty oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Again, it's been, I want to say, three years since I ever ordered Domino's. I mean, coming from Chicago, I had so many better alternatives. And here, I have we have one pizza place that we order from only, pretty much. Right. The uh, and it, it's not a chain. Um, so the, but I can say that the, I I know from de- front end development experience that what they built would be difficult. It, it would not difficult. It would be it would be costly right. on a few levels: time and money, funding for development, to make that as accessible as it would need to be. So I can 
I understand. I empathize with the development team that has to fit a budget or the, the consulting firm. I actually don't think Domino's did it themselves. I think I almost remember talking to a company once that said that they did that whole interface and trying to get that under budget with accessibility tools. Very difficult. It's not a trivial thing. Doesn't mean they still shouldn't do it. I'm just saying there is a impact to the budget to implement that interface in a accessible way. And so I, I know what, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't have crocodile tears for the, um, the pizza play, the actual pizza restaurant that was down the street from me in Chicago that started, that was trying to avoid a lawsuit to put a ramp to their front door. Sure. Cause they, they got sued by someone in a wheelchair and they said, well, this person just does lots of lawsuits. They don't actually want to come here. Like they were trying to make the argument the only person that's complaining is someone that doesn't eat here. Therefore their suit isn't relevant. And the court was just like laughed at them. I was going to say the court probably had yeah. very little patience there was, for that. There, but it was, but the thing is based on how that store was constructed, um, putting a ramp there was not a trivial thing. They ended up sure. doing it. They did it. Um, but it was a painful process and they paid for a lawyer to fight it. They should have just used that money to get the ramp in place. Yeah. So uh, overall, I I feel like these laws, these requirements, accessibility standards are important. There's a hell of a lot of research and tools available now to do it. And I don't think the companies have an excuse anymore to leave that out of the requirement. And that, that's my flat line opinion on it. Okay. So let me complicate things a little. Sure. Let's, uh, so, so that's Domino's, you know, multi-million, maybe even billion, I don't know, dollar company. Um, they've got plenty of developers or they've got plenty of money to buy developers, either one. Um, let's, let's, let's go to the other end of the scale. Startup, two people. One's developing, one's marketing, selling. Yeah, you have one developer. He's building prototypes, and he's he's building the initial release of whatever this SaaS product is. And it's really cool, and it's got all sorts of really cool visual effects. What is the burden? was the requirement to meet ADA for that startup? And I think I know the answer. I think I can answer my own question, but I'll, I'll let you take a swing at it first. Well, I think I think the ADA says you're not significant enough to care for us to care. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to this place of public accommodation um, definition. Um, so let's let's look at that. A public accommodation is a private entity that owns, operates, leases a place of public accommodation. These include restaurants, hotels, theaters, doctor's offices, so on and so forth. Um, private clubs and religious organizations are exempt. So, um, which that's really interesting. 
I want to go back and read that later. Um, so the, I think the question comes down to, does this startup service fit this definition of, you know, public accommodation? Um, and the answer most likely if it's a SAS is no, um, be, based on this definition, it, it's, it's a no, but I, I would also say that Domino's may, that's probably where Domino's argument was, which is yes, we're a place of public accommodation. If you come into our store or if you call us, but we feel our website is something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're probably right that, that in the end, uh, a, a startup doesn't necessarily um, fit the definition, but to that end, I, I think we would we would both advise that when you're building that prototype, when you're building that um, initial swing at a website, you go ahead and run the accessibility tests on it and find out where the holes are that you will yeah. eventually need to fill anyway. I think at the beginning of a project for a startup or a prototype, you should have accessibility as a priority that maybe you don't do immediately, but always have it as part of the discussion for product. Like, are like where are, we need to know that this has to be on the radar at some point. And I feel like that's where we are now for startups. I mean, it's a heck of a lot easier to have a philosophy about accessibility at the beginning and to implement it and then keep it as part of your product. And if you wait, then yeah, it's going to cost a lot. But if you lay the foundation at the beginning, then I feel like you can have, it could be just part of your like, Hey, this has like right now I would say there's not a prototype I've worked on that doesn't need to be responsive. Like, hey, we have to show this to customers on a phone, on a tablet, on a desktop. And I feel like I've we follow that um, responsive approach for every feature we add. Right. I feel like accessibility is the same way, can be the same way. Yeah, and and if you if you start with. Um... I guess the, 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 the saying is start with the end in mind. Um, if you start with accessibility as a requirement in your mind, even if you, you, you don't reach full accessibility in the first couple of iterations, yeah, then you're at least thinking along those lines of, oh, we're, here's, here's this cool new thing we want to implement, but we're going to have to think about how that, how we need to, redo that for screen readers and, and things like that. And, and the tool, the, the frameworks themselves are getting better at accessibility as well. No, I can, yeah, they definitely are. I can say right now I'm talking to a company, a small business. I'm an advisor. I've been an advisor of theirs for almost two years. And we, they are pitching a prototype to enterprise firms right now and accessibility is a requirement for the prototype for the sale like the the enterprise firms already know 
if we release anything that's inaccessible, we are a target for lawsuits. Right. That doesn't mean that the, the enterprise firms care about accessibility like we are implying people should, but they are aware of their responsibility to do it or the risk of not doing it. Right. So for us, we're, we basically go in and we say, the application we're talking about will be responsive. It will be accessible. It will be multi-language, like international locale, internationalization ready. Um, all these different features, standards that to an enterprise firm, they're like, that has, that's the foundation of it has to be, um, has to be accessible because of right. the legal risk and our responsibility to that regard, or it's a philosophy that they may have. Like some of them, some of the firm just says, we require that of all of our products, um, regardless of lawsuits. Um, so it's just one of those things of, it's a philosophical choice for a product, for a firm building products to make that a requirement. Yeah, no question. No question. Well, I mean, you talked about all the different um, building changes that have to happen with, with, with construction specialists. We get those work orders all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this ramp needs, needs um, I don't even know what they're called. I can't remember what they're called, but the, the, the sidewalk ramps you see with the bumps on them. Yeah. Um, I, I, we were we were doing a tour of uh, University of Central Florida with my son, and we came to a crosswalk and it had those bumps on it. And I said, "Do you know what those bumps are for?" Um, so I, I was able to to explain what the bumps were for, as far as making it <clears throat> not only anti-slip, but also it's a it's a tactile way to know, hey, this is a ramp, this is probably leading to a street, things like that. Um, and the other type we get are the bathroom renovations, like you talked about, you know, putting rails in, but there was one I'd never heard of until we, we got the first one, which was under the sinks. You have to, you have to put insulation around all the pipes for people in wheelchairs. So they roll up to it. Don't, don't put their leg up against a hot water pipe. Hmm. Um, so yeah. we, we had to go back and do that as well. So it's just interesting to see all the different little changes that, that have to be made. Yeah, and I, I just feel like if we're going to try to help people, anybody with the inability to use all their limbs, the ability to have, you know, great vision or standard hearing and we're going to want we want to pull them up and help them overcome that in a normal way society works and information is so vital for work and career and job and being productive members of society that we need to find ways to allow for alternative means of using interfaces and it's not just I mean, if you can't use your hand, then you need to be able to somehow get text into a form. Right. If you can't see it, you need to. Like, there's there's also something to be said for how efficient people that aren't using their eyes 
if you're not if you're unable if you have impaired vision low vision and you're using a screen reader you are the most efficient user interface user on the planet like i have seen demonstrations of people using screen readers and how they go through websites they do it at such an efficient pace it is amazing about the yeah. speed of the audio and what they are gleaned from it and there's something to be said for maybe the high the full vision use folks aren't as great <laughs> at interfaces as, as people using just audio and that's maybe something we should learn from like oh maybe we can enhance these interfaces for the people that have full vision to be more efficient with what they're doing so there there's a lot to be gleaned from the research we do around accessibility to make products better i mean i, sure. I feel like th if anything the, like if you look at a smartphone a smartphone was built for complex screens using an impaired amount of, of uh, screen space. Right. Think about how keyboards have evolved. We went from razors with number pads, and I was fast. I could type hell like really fast with the three with those like three letters to each um, yeah number thing, and. Over the last decade and a half, like 15 years or so, to see how the keyboard on a screen has evolved. Like, we went from the Razer to the, what was that old phone everyone loved? And the Blackberry? Blackberries. They had the built-in keyboard, and then we went to a phone screen-based one. And that evolution is, was amazing, but it was all about, well, hey... What's people have an impairment, so to speak, using a full size keyboard on a reduced size screen? How do we overcome that? And it was an accessibility question that pushed that forward. And I feel like we are better as a as product developers when we think about all of the use cases and all the people that need to use it. To get a prototype out to raise money, like maybe you don't have accessibility at that level, but I feel like good product develop like developers and product managers who think about the entire picture of the use case are better overall long term than the folks that just skip and just say, "Man, eh, we'll just worry about the eighty percent." 70% of people that have can utilize all their, you know, natural um, motor and visual and audio functions. Like, sure. I just feel like I have a lot more respect for the people. And I think that when you are able to balance out an interface with weighing all that, you probably have a better interface overall too. Well, and it, that could also be a, a, a reason or a, one of the reasons to raise money, right? Is you build your, your prototype and you say, hey, part of our mission is to be fully accessible and we need to spend the money in order to uh, build all those features out. Yeah. So that can be another reason. Um, to wrap up real quick, I wanted to talk about the opportunities provided 
um, by being someone who, who focuses on making things accessible. Because I know yeah. there are companies in our industry that, that do um, ADA compliance assessments of buildings. And they'll go in and say, okay, you've got to move this bathroom partition three inches this way. You have to, you know, cover the insulation under your sinks. You have to build this ramp, so on and so forth. Um, on the software side, I know you were involved uh, at least at one point with Caption Point, um, and and what they are, what they provide. So, did you want to cover that? Talk about that? Oh yeah, I mean, I haven't. I still talk to uh, Matt Bivens, who Matt and Evan Bivens. Um, shout out to them. They they have a product called Caption Point, and. Um, Matt and Evan are both involved in the arts closely and they have worked on a product for the last three to four years that makes for more effective open captioning for theater um, shows like live theater. And I've seen the product in use at storefront theaters I know it's been in use at big theaters and I've seen it used at a concert because Matt and Evan are both rock stars and, and, and they have been captioning their shows with it. And it's amazing. It's a great tool. It's nothing fancy from a, a coding perspective. It is not a fancy product, but it works really well for the people that need to put the stuff together. And we try to get funding for it. We kept getting shut down on that. And eventually Matt just took it and went full on, like, I'm going to duct tape some stuff together and he's got a good product. And they get a lot of requests now from Chicago and different cities across the country saying, hey, we want to use this product. What do we need to do to use it? And it has a lot of room for improvement, but it is the use of technology to make a different medium accessible. And Matt's just done amazing things with it. And it's exciting to see kind of how they're moving forward with it. So I wish I had like Matt doesn't manage tech projects that much. And I'm always like, tell me what you need me to do. And so I don't really know what his focus is right now, but I know he's doing a lot of shows and I'm really proud of what he's been able to achieve with, he hates JavaScript, but he makes it work for himself. <laughs> and uh, he's done a lot with a tool he hates, or at least has frustration with, getting it to work for him in a really valuable type of application. Didn't you just describe every JavaScript developer? I no, I like <laughs> JavaScript. Like it's, it, I have, I have. It's funny because I talked to to Megan who's working in JavaScript and I talked to some of my coworkers and I'm the only person on my team that is like, I like it. It's, it I'm, I've totally embraced JavaScript as a worthwhile programming language, but everyone looks at me like you're just delusional, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, but, but it, the thing is, is kind of like, the reason I like JavaScript is that it, you can use it across different, you can use it for hosting, you can use it for front end, you can use it for a variety of things and sure. you don't have to, and that's, 
what is empowered caption point to work is it works on almost all different devices and you can get it to bounce up a server. You can get it for WebSockets. You can use it for a front end. And that's what has empowered him. It just might make you pull your hair out before you get it to do everything you want it to. Right. But I've trained, I've, I've gone over the learning curve to the point that I feel comfortable with it. Um, even at the pain points. So I don't, I don't talk negatively about JavaScript anymore. <laughs> any more is the key word there of course of course all right well i th- i think that's uh, i think we hit a, 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 a few things around the idea of accessibility today um you back to doing more architecture the rest of the week oh yeah that's the we're trying to get the architecture done so we can start on the work in the next week or so so that's Very my good. that's my goal cool All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Cool. Talk to you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach. Licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Voiceover work by MeganVoices.com. You'll hear from us next week.